When I tell people that I grew up in Connecticut, that I'm from the East Coast, oftentimes they will comment to me, wow, you're a long way from home. And then I explain to them that before coming to Oregon, we actually lived in Kodiak, Alaska. And that about 10 years ago, when we moved from there to here, we came almost halfway home. And sometimes people are skeptical when they hear me say that, but it is actually true uh, because Alaska is that big and Kodiak is that far away. <laughs> and that journey never felt longer than at Christmas time because for the years that we lived in Christmas, uh, in Christmas, the years that we lived in Kodiak, which sometimes felt like Christmas, the years that we lived in Kodiak, uh, oftentimes it was at Christmas that we would travel home to or go back to Connecticut. And it was a long journey. When everything went perfectly smoothly, when our connections were really good, when there wasn't a delay, when the weather never canceled one of our flights, it was a journey of about 20 hours taken on th at least three different airplanes followed by a two-hour car ride with young children <laughs> who would sometimes eat too many Skittles and then throw up. <laughs> and I'm going to be in trouble for that one. <laughs> nope. I didn't. <laughs> lots of memories, lots of good memories. Um, but I did learn something significant about Christmas travel uh, that has still continued to stick with me, and that is that the very best day to fly is on Christmas Day. Because not only are the airports largely empty, but everybody there is just in the absolute best mood. I'm serious, it's amazing. And they'll bend over backwards to do everything that they can to help you. But the really big question in all of this is, is it worth it? Is the really long journey worth it? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, it is because of what we found at the end of that journey. The opportunity to spend time with family that seemed so far away the whole rest of the year made that long journey very much worth it. This morning, we're going to look at another group of people who also went on a very long journey, a journey that took them a long way from where they started. A journey that, in the end, they also decided was very, very much worth it. This is the season of Advent, and today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. This is the time of year where we celebrate and remember the first coming of Jesus, but we also anticipate and prepare for his second coming, when he'll come again to finally and forever fix all that's broken in our world. In this Advent season, we've been focusing on Christmas travelers, on people who have made a journey related to that very first Christmas. 
And by the time we're done today, we will have looked at three very different journeys, three different groups of people who took those journeys, and the reason why each of those journeys gives us reason for hope, not only at Christmas, but at all times in this beautiful but broken world. And so this morning, we are going to meet our third travelers, the Magi. We're going to learn about what made their journey both long and unexpected. And we're going to discover how their long journey can still speak to us today and give us very good reason for hope in the midst of a beautiful but broken world. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have your own Bible or Bible app on your smart, smartphone or tablet and you want to grab one of those red Bibles and follow along, uh, we'll be on page 1501 in the red Bible. Matthew chapter 2. Now at some point after the birth of Jesus, a group of foreigners arrived in Jerusalem. Now, that itself was not unusual. Jerusalem was along an important trade route, and so the appearance of foreigners in the city was not unheard of. But these foreigners in particular had traveled a long way, and their journey had been a long one. And Jerusalem, or so they thought, was their final destination. And they had come with a purpose. They'd received a divine message. They'd seen a sign in the night sky. Something important, something special, something monumental had taken place. The skies were telling them that a king had been born. And so they had come to see him. Let's look at the text. Um, actually, before we look at the text, this, this arrival of these foreigners came as a surprise to the people of Jerusalem, especially to one man by the name of Herod. Because as far as he knew, he was the only king in Jerusalem. Look at verse 1, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these foreigners were Magi, uh, traditionally wise men depending on your translation, uh, the Bible story this morning, the children's story talked about wise men, but better translated magi. This title, uh, magi, was originally used of Persian priests, but eventually it came to describe astrologers and magicians in general. Magi specialized in interpreting dreams and signs in nature. Some were students of the stars and experts in astrology. They would make pronouncements based on the location of planets or the appearance of comets in the night sky. Others would discern omens of success or failure based on the entrails of slaughtered animals. Still others would read tea leaves or interpret weather patterns as a way to predict the future. See, the craft of the Magi was based in the belief that the will of the gods was revealed in nature that the gods communicated through signs in the natural world, whether in the sky or on the earth, or even through the innards of an animal. And this may seem very strange to us, but this was widely practiced in the ancient world. It was known as divination. 
and it was explicitly prohibited under Jewish law. See, the Jews were forbidden from practicing this kind of divination. Even though other nations regularly depended on it for revelation from their gods, the Jews were not to look for direction from their God in this manner. Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God of the Bible, does not communicate this way. He speaks through prophets and through a book, the Bible, and eventually through his son. See, the forms of divination practiced by other nations were not just untrustworthy because this is not how God typically communicates. They were also forbidden, again, because this is not how God usually communicates. But either way, the Magi's arrival in Jerusalem was noticed. And it wasn't just that they were foreigners. What truly got everyone's attention was why they had come. They were looking for a child, one that they called the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, these magi, they didn't call him Messiah, the rescuer that God had long promised but not yet sent. But for everyone in Jerusalem, the title king of the Jews had Messiah written all over it. Everyone was unsettled by this news, because if it was true, how had they possibly missed it? Well, most concerned of all was the man who was currently the king. The birth announcement of a king, especially a king of the Jews, was not happy news for him. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard, heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now this is Herod the Great. He had been made king by Rome when, he, when, he was, when they granted him control of this region, this region of Judea, in 40 B.C. And history tells us that he ruled there until his death shortly after the birth of Jesus. Now, he was called Herod the Great not because of any greatness in his character. In fact, he was not a good guy at all. He had three of his own sons killed out of paranoia. And when he himself was nearing the end of his life, he left orders that one member from each family in Israel should be executed on his death so that he could be sure that the whole nation would mourn. Now, thankfully, this order was never carried out, but it does give you a picture of the kind of ruler that this man was. He was an unscrupulous tyrant, but he was very efficient at keeping the peace. And what made him Herod the Great was the number of building projects that he managed to get done, including the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, as well as the whole city of Samaria. 
And Herod may have been king over the Jews, but he was not a Jewish king. He was not from David's line. His father was an Edomian, meaning from Edom, and his mother was Arabian. And so to Herod, the news that a king of the Jews had been born was not welcome, because all he heard was a new threat to his position and power. And so Herod gathered together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These were the experts in the writings of the prophets and the old, old, other Old Testament scriptures. And so he asked them where the prophets had predicted Messiah would be born. And these religious experts pointed Herod to the words of the prophet Micah and Samuel. Micah had said that a ruler, Messiah, would come from the region of Judah, specifically the town of Bethlehem, which not coincidentally was also the birthplace of King David. Well, having learned all that he could from the chief priests and the teachers of the law, Herod met with the Magi again, but this time secretly. Perhaps he feared drawing any more attention to the Magi and the reason for their journey. And the point of this gathering was to trade information. The Magi told Herod when they had first seen signs in the night sky of this special birth. And Herod told them, point of this gathering was to trade information. The Magi told Herod when they had first seen the signs in the night sky of this special birth, and Herod told them where the prophets had said Messiah was going to be born. It would be in Bethlehem, an ancient but small village about five miles south of Jerusalem. Knowing that the Magi would continue their search, Herod instructed them to report back to him as soon as they had found this baby. He told them that it was so that he could go and worship this child as well. Well, the Magi, they head off to Bethlehem. And to their delight, the sign in the night sky continued to guide them all the way to the child that they were looking for. Look at verse 9. After they had heard the king they, the Magi, went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the palace where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the Magi find Mary and Jesus and presumably Joseph as well. All along, they had said that they had pursued this journey because they wanted to worship this child. And true to their word, they did so. Bowing to this child, they had come to see. And the Magi had come with gifts, with extravagant gifts, gifts worthy of a king, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having found the one that they were looking for, the child who is a king, the Magi then returned home. 
But they bypassed Jerusalem, having been warned in a dream not to report back to Herod. Look at verse 12. And having been warned in a dream, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so God spares the Magi from being complicit in Herod's real plan, which is to kill anyone who might be a threat to his power, even the infant king Jesus. Now, Mary's child would die by the hands of powerful men, but not by this man, and not now. Look at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Well, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and younger, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so with his initial plan foiled, Herod orders the execution of all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. See, he doesn't want to worship this baby the Magi had come to see. He wants to kill him. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they escape before the slaughter happens in Bethlehem. And this will turn out to be just the first of what will be many attempts to kill Jesus. And if you know the whole story, then you know that as an adult, Jesus is eventually arrested and executed, but only because the timing is finally right. Not Herod's timing, not the Sanhedrin's timing, not Rome's timing, but God's timing. Because even this, especially this, was part of the plan was part of God's great unstoppable rescue plan. But that gets us way ahead of ourselves. More importantly, Herod's response to Jesus, even as a young child, is an early indication that the advent of Jesus as the great rescuer king is not going to be celebrated as good news by everyone. But this morning, our focus is not on the tyrant King Herod, but on the baby King Jesus and on the journey that the Magi took to find him. The Magi's journey was long. They traveled to Bethlehem via Jerusalem from the east, perhaps from as far away as Babylon. This is a journey that would have taken them not just days, but weeks. They came a long way over a long period of time. And these magi, they were pagans. 
They were foreigners who worshiped foreign gods in ways that were very foreign and prohibited to the Jews. They came a long way from the life and culture that they were accustomed to in order to find this special child. In the Magi's journey, it was also unexpected. It was inspired by some sort of unanticipated sign in the heavens. And to find the baby king in the humbleness of Bethlehem rather than the opulence of Jerusalem must have also been unexpected. And of course, the Magi's arrival in Jerusalem, it disturbed the city and it unnerved its tyrant king. Everything about this journey was long and unexpected. But that is exactly why this journey, their journey, can speak to us today and point us to the hope that we need and long for in our beautiful but broken world. See, for many, the Magi's journey is our journey. See, like the Magi, our journey to find Jesus can be long and unexpected. Some of you here this morning might still be on that journey Some of you might not yet realize that this is the journey that you're on. Like the Magi, many of us start from places that seem like they are far, far away from Jesus. Maybe growing up in a family that doesn't love Jesus or was never part of a church. Maybe life has been this whole series of struggles, struggles with brokenness, whether our own brokenness or the brokenness of others who've been close to us. Or maybe you've just never felt any need or want for Jesus, for faith, for forgiveness or redemption, because it's just seemed like life was working out okay without him. But then, just like for the Magi, Something unexpected happened. You weren't looking for Jesus, but someone in your life started talking to you about him. Or maybe something happened that changed your circumstances, maybe for good, maybe for bad. Maybe it was some sort of blessing, maybe it was some sort of tragedy. And it's made you start to question some of your assumptions. Or maybe something truly unexplainable has happened. A miraculous encounter. An unexpected sign. And you've decided that you need to take a look at Jesus again. And when you do, you will discover more than you expected to find you will discover more than myths and tradition and stories for us to tell our children. What or who you will find will be worth that journey because in Jesus, you will discover one who is able to respond to your biggest questions and is able to speak to your deepest longings. And there is a reason why it works this way. See, it was was God who drew the Magi to the baby Jesus. And it is God 
who is drawing you to Jesus today. For the Magi, from the star to the scriptures to the dream, God called and directed the Magi to exactly where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, in order to meet this particular child. The Magi, they traveled a long way to find Jesus. But each step of that journey that brought them to him was one orchestrated by God so that they would find him. And so you might feel like you are a long way from Jesus today. But each step of your journey that is bringing you closer to him is being orchestrated by God so that you will be able to find him. And when you do, you will say that this journey has been worth it. See, God still draws people, people like you and me, to Jesus today. And no matter how long a journey it might seem to take for you to find Jesus, you need to understand this. Jesus has already traveled even further to find you. See, Jesus, he left the comforts of heaven so that he could become one of us. Jesus stepped down from his throne in glory so that he could become the infant who was laid in a manger. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant so that he could endure the humiliation of the cross, his life for ours, our sin on him. See, there is no place that we can go or be that is too far for the love and the grace of Jesus to be able to find us. And this is why Christmas shows us that there is always reason for hope in the midst of our beautiful but also profoundly broken world. Jesus came to find and to rescue us. And he's promised to come again, to claim us forever, and to fix all that is broken in us and in our world. The journey to find Jesus may be long, but it is worth it. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your great unstoppable plan to rescue and to redeem a people for yourself and for inviting us to be part of it for being the kind of God who reveals himself to even pagan magi so that they would know how to find the king that they truly needed and longed for. Jesus, thank you for making the long and unexpected journey from heaven to earth, for trading the glory of heaven for the humility of a manger and eventually a cross. Our hope is in you because you are the one who came and has promised to come again. And Holy Spirit, please continue your good work in us Help us to anticipate and celebrate the advent of Jesus, both past and future. May the goodness and glory of the eternal Son becoming one of us be the source of our greatest joy and hope this Christmas season. Continue to make us more like him so that we may become more and more your agents of grace and gospel in this beautiful but broken world. No matter how long or difficult or ordinary our journeys in this life may seem to be.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.